0: This is episode 19 of the Rise of Man podcast with John Somerville. Oh. Welcome back, Risers. My name is Jetty Azuma, and I am the creator and host of The Rising Man Podcast. So good to have you guys back listening. I'm so grateful for every one of you guys who tunes in, whether you're a first-time listener or you're a consistent listener who's heard every single one of these episodes or somewhere in between. I just want to express my gratitude. It means so much to me to have you guys tuning in, especially giving your feedback. It's really helped to support the direction of this podcast and support the mission growing and expanding. It's been really amazing two month journey so far since we launched. And I'm just really grateful to be able to continue delivering this amazing content to you guys. And if this is your first time, or you haven't heard one of the more recent episodes with Tom McGee, you may not know that we're celebrating Father's Month. For the month of June, because I felt like fathers deserve an entire month. (laughs) We are having a bonus episode where I'm interviewing one of the special men who happens to be a father in my life, eliciting any wisdom that they have to offer around fatherhood, as well as any other information that they have that could be a benefit to us as men on our growing path. So this is episode two out of four for the month of June, where we're highlighting a father. And I'm just really excited. It's been some really great opportunities to reflect on fatherhood for myself because I have have an almost three-year-old boy and to share some of this wisdom around fatherhood across many different cultures and different backgrounds. So excited to be sharing this with you guys today. For those of you guys who are not yet part of the Rising Man Facebook group, I mean, come on now. You guys have been listening. You guys know it's there. Just take a moment right now, but pause the episode, go over to your Facebook app Sign up for the Rising Man Facebook group. We just about hit the 600 members mark. In fact, by the time this launches, we probably will have eclipsed the 600 members mark and the heat is just turning up in there. I'm telling you guys, are really starting to connect from all corners of the world. Literally, we have men from all different countries collaborating, sharing their experiences, their challenges, their triumphs, the whole bit. And if you're not on the Facebook app, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash the Rising Man. Get yourself in there. If you're already in there, invite another man in there. Let's make this thing grow, baby. Let's do it. And as I've been mentioning on the top of my show, if you're listening to this podcast and you still feel stuck in your life, you don't know how to break out of the funk that you're in, you don't know what to do next, you're feeling lost, you're just not sure how to turn your life around in the direction you want it to, send me a message right now on Facebook Messenger. You can hit me up or via email, jettyazuma at gmail.com. I just wanna help you guys figure out what the next step is. And if I don't have the solution, then I guarantee you I can help you find somebody who will be able to help you out. Because I just don't want any men out there still feeling lost, still feeling like they don't have support. Because that's what that's what the mission of The Rising Man is. It's for all of us men to rise so that we as a people, as a planet, as a community, a global community, can all rise together. It starts right here, right now. All right, without further ado, I have a very, very special man on the show today for the second episode of our four episode Father's Month series. His name is John Submerville. He is a man that I've known for five years. We sit on the same men's team together. He's been in men's teams and men's circles for over 20 years. Literally, he's probably seen it all. He's a scoutmaster, a Little League coach, a mentor to men across many generations, and just an all-around outstanding individual, integral man. Really, I can't say enough about him. He's the kind of guy who just lives his message by the way he shows up in the world. You don't even have to ask him what he's about. You just have to spend five minutes in his presence, and you know the type of man that he is. On top of all that, he's a father of two young men, two amazing young men, and um, he has just a wealth of information to share with all of us. So some of the things we discuss in this episode are what sons need from their fathers, how many men have been feminized by the way culture has evolved. This is something we spoke about in the episode with Tom, where most boys are only around women until they graduate high school. (laughs) Whether they're teachers in school or the mom who's at home helping to raise them for the majority of their life. So that feminization that's happened for men, boys and men in our culture, we talk about that. We dive deep into that. We talk about the challenges of divorce, especially when you're having a divorce, going through divorce with children. Uh, John has lived through that. He survived that. and He has a lot of information to share about that. Taking radical responsibility for everything in our lives. This is something that we've talked about in multiple interviews now. And John has a really straightforward way of explaining this and expressing how important this is. And all in all, this episode is just chock full of pearls from decades of men's teams, men's circles, life experience. John Somerville has seen it all. I'll let him do the talking without further ado. John Somerville. John Somerville, what a pleasure to have you on the Rising Man podcast, man. How are you doing today? Good, Jetty. Pleasure to be here. I know this is the first time for you uh, being live in front of the computer and getting recorded. So is that is that exciting to you? Is that scary for you?
1: You know, looking at your face across my little window here keeps it all calm and in perspective.
0: Everything's good. <laughs> Excellent, man. Well, uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show here. You know, I, I asked you to be on here because we've spent you know the past five years on a men's team together. And I've learned a lot from being in your presence, and I've also appreciated who I've seen you to be as a father, as a leader in your community, as a professional, as an athlete, et cetera. So a lot of good stuff to dive into here, but let's start with this question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. And that is, for you, what is the difference between a boy and a man?
1: Well, there's probably a lot of layers to that, but right off the top of my head, the difference is a man takes responsibility for everything in his life. A boy struggles with that level of accountability. It's a constant learning process of making mistakes and wishing it wasn't your fault and hoping to find someplace to blame or you know, looking for a mom to come in and go, oh, it wasn't your fault, make excuses for you. The big transition for me is when finally you stop and you realize, you know what? No matter what happens, somewhere along the line, if I'm part of it, it's my fault.
0: Mm. And, and that's an answer that we've gotten over and over here. So let's let's go a little bit deeper, because I think that that's great. So why is it that boys avoid responsibility? Why do why do boys look for something else to blame?
1: You know, I got a different angle on that probably the most or, or maybe not. I, I've not listened to a lot of the different podcasts or the guests you have on. But I think there's a it, you could almost look at it from a tribal standpoint of how boys and girls are raised together. And sooner or later, they separate. The spirit of the masculine you know, father, if you will, has everything to do with being a role model. And most of the part that you hope as a father, when you think of your own son, when you're role modeling and when you're raising him, is the, the men that I talked to and even my own sense of reflection with my own dad was to raise a son who knows the difference between right and wrong, who knows what honor looks like, who knows what it is, who knows how to define it, knows how to live it. When a child is young, there's a more of an androgynous sense of who he is. And he's out to play, he's out to have fun. How is that any different between boys and girls? That you We could stereotype it a little bit and talk about, you know, role playing and, you know, playing army versus playing dolls and all that. You know, that's kind of bullshit that gets blended, especially in, in the later generations here, or the last couple. But the sense of when a boy finally learns that, there's honor and the sense of craving respect as he watches men. I think that's kind of a deeper mantle to what it means to be a man versus a boy. The context of when they're younger, they're usually being raised. And again, this is stereotypical, but they're usually raised in in institutional education, which is mostly women. You have Dad usually if you're going from a stereotypical household, he's working most of the day. So the boy is either gonna be in daycare, he's gonna be at home with mom, he's gonna be raised with, you know, sisters and other kids, etc. Those lessons don't seem that important when they're so young. And they're certainly not being taught by a mom or a teacher. Uh, versus the more serious heavy handedness of a father who's trying to pass on his legacy to his son, mm. which usually happens later. And that's actually something that has been talked about here
0: is this, cause I think it's being more widely accepted that boys and girls are spending the majority of their time around women, not just before puberty, but all the way through into college in most cases. And, you know, maybe they get men showing up in their lives as coaches for small portions of their life, but That's really it. And that does have a huge influence on the development of boys and girls, but specifically boys into men. And so before we go into how we raise boys as the father, because I think that's a really interesting topic to talk about. What's your definition of honor? Because that's a really important word that comes up a lot. And I
1: love your angle on it. Okay, Honor to me is doing the right thing when no one else is looking. That's the simplest definition. I teach the Boy Scouts that and my own sons. You know, you know it by when you see it, you know it by who you are. And it's when you have that audience of one, which is usually the man in the mirror, your own reflection. And if you can't lie to him, you know what honor is.
0: Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So kind of working into how we model this for our sons or even just for younger boys and men, how do we go about instilling values like honor and integrity into uh, the next generation?
1: Mm, I think the the simplest way clearly is you live it if you are an example let's go back again what I said honor is doing the right thing when no one is looking yet what I always work again I, I'm dealing with a lot of issues that maybe I haven't brought up in here that I've done which is to, to be a coach and to be a, a scout leader and a father of two sons there's a lot of small groups of young men that I have been involved with from a leadership or a mentorship role and the context that I always set is, Look, somebody's always watching you. So, the whole thing of honor is about when no one else is watching. You know, look at our day and age now with all the different cameras and all the different cell phones, et cetera. Sooner or later, something comes up going, oh, darn it, you know, I I got caught. Meaning that somebody is going to be there. If you hold it that way, you know that someone's always watching. So, if you know that someone's always watching, then you realize, well, then I'm being an example to someone. We've switched to the fathering side of it. So as a man, if you live a life of honor, if you live a certain sense of telling the truth, of doing what is of service, of doing what would be a benefit to someone else versus just being self-serving in your acts, then I think that is the most important and the most thorough way to pass on the legacy of what it looks like to be an honorable man.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the, it's the old adage that has so much truth to it, that actions are greater than words. You know, you can tell someone about honor and what it is or looks like, but we know that we, we learn so much just from watching, witnessing and observing. And so that, that actually brings me back to what you said about our culture, how in most family dynamics... The man of the household is gone for many hours of the day. And obviously there's that's a broad stroke and it's, it's shifting in many ways. But so what about the man who is out working most of the time and the, the son in this case is being raised by the mother or a nanny or a teacher or someone else? How, how can that man continue to model
1: and instill those values in his in his son? Those are good, tough points. uh, And I think there are simply curveballs thrown at you or obstacles, but the the path continues to be the same, which number one, whatever your interaction is with your son, you make sure that that is precious. You make sure that you are doing what is right. You make sure that you are you know, teaching the lessons. And and what you said was actions are stronger than words, but yet there's a lot of being a parent, a lot of being a father where you are teaching and you are showing and you are demonstrating and so if there is any contact, whether it's on the weekends or late in the evenings, et cetera, those are special moments. You do your best as a father to instill what it means to be at work, to serve the family. Why is daddy gone so much? Why is he, you know, it's it's part of the, the role that I play as being a provider. I, I think there's an explanation mm-hmm. to a young man's questions of daddy, why can't you be home more often? Well, son, I'd love to, but part of my job as a father, as a provider is to make sure that we have a home and, and make sure that we have money to send you to school. And in other words, you begin to give the answers that make sense that talk about the honor in your service. Mm. That would be, I think one of the parts, the way that you, you fill that gap or get around the obstacle of geez, but if you're never there. How do you teach your kid about honor? The, the other part, it's the part of how you marry and who you marry. and, if you have a wife that is at home also explaining why daddy's gone in this sense of that she tells a tale of honoring her man, of this young man's father, that role can be supported and that story is reinforced as to the truth of what my dad does when he leaves and he's gone for 8, 10, 12 hours or, or a week at a time because his job is traveling, etc. If it is reinforced by the woman and not torn apart and not badmouthed. Well, that message then becomes cemented in a young man's mind mm,
0: that's that's really valuable right there i mean that's that's the definition i believe of partnership and being clear about the the role that the father or the husband and the wife and the mother play in a dynamic like that, because I think what you're speaking to is the opposite, where daddy's gone, he's traveling for business, he's out there making the money to pay for every every one of the family's needs, and mom is home saying, oh, your father's never around, he's always gone, and, and not supporting the story that the man is living. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, uh, it's, not, it's, it's a possibility, right? It, I mean, you can throw all the different dynamics in there, and that one is a destructive one. That one is the one that harms the boy. It harms the family unit. And there's one of the reasons why divorce is at an all-time high in first marriages and brutal statistics of second marriages and things of how it doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. those are different topics. But yeah, when you have, when you marry well, when you pick right, when you have joint visions, when you reinforce it, when you take care of the woman so that she takes care of you and how she, she handles, you know, your children. Well, that's the magic, a balanced family that tends to at least steer in the right direction. Right.
0: And then that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. And I think, you know, we're about empowering the men here. So the the tool that I see is clarity, going back to what you said, the the context that the father delivers to his son or his daughter, doesn't matter the story that he tells about why he's gone. I, I've realized in my own life that when I go to work in the morning, Sitka's, you know, he's two and a half years old. He's already starting to say, where are you going? Where are you going, daddy? And, you know, I've started to tell him that story. Well, daddy's got to go to work. And he goes, why? He started into the why stage now. It's like, well, because when I go to work, I make money so that we can have food on our table and pay for our house. And you can tell that he starts to get it. But I I wouldn't have thought of how important that was had I not spent time on a men's team or being in these kind of conversations with you and the other men. So I think that's important for a lot of men out there who are listening to this recording that are it's very easy to get. At odds with your partner when you when there's a lot of stress and tension in the relationship or there's not clarity around who is playing which role and I agree I think that's a lot of what plays into the high divorce rates and the staggering statistics that I know you that you're so uh, familiar with yeah so let's actually lead that use that as a leverage into your story when did you get married how old were you
1: Oh, let's see. I was uh, 32, you know, older for the normal sense of, you know, you try to get married in your mid-20s and so you can still do all the stuff with your kids as you grow up. It lasted 10 years. And the part that without all the details, I can just simply say that I I picked wrong. But I actually was some uh, I was simply a statistic in that I've heard tell by some very brilliant people far smarter than I that when a man is ready to get married, he will marry anybody. And yet, when a man is not willing to get married, it won't matter what kind of 20th century fox and smartest woman in the world, he won't marry her. Hmm. So I was of the former. I had done everything. I thought I was a fairly good, successful guy. You know, and I said, what's next in my life? And when you look at your family life as a role model for like, well, how am I doing there? And you realize that my own father had had five children and was still married. Gee, that seems to be the American dream still. Why don't you go find a good woman and get married? And had I had a little bit more interviews, <laughs> whether it was from my family or friends, that had to say, So, do you know what you're doing? And uh, what do you think about her? Why are you marrying her? What, what? you know, the, the the sort of what I guess pre counseling to getting married, I, I may not have. And, and, and that's all hindsight and that's all kind of a ridiculous way to say it because I have two of the greatest sons that a father could ever want from that marriage. Mm-hmm. And and what I will always do so that I'm consistent in what our, our podcast is, is I have to take full responsibility for my marriage and my divorce. Mm. Um, this is not something to put on her. This is something that I needed to have a better A game. I needed to, to be a different kind of guy if I was going to hang on to this woman and keep this family together. And I wasn't up to the task at that time. So yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in what you said about
0: when a man is ready to get married, he'll marry anyone. I think is what you said, right? And, and so, what were you what were you missing that might benefit other men who are in who are in that position right now, who are on the fence of whether they're going to marry whoever's right in front of them or not?
1: That's a that's a fair question. I don't know. I can answer it for all men. I think I can say where each man is in terms of what he wants. So so let's call that want is the vision whatever your vision is is the woman that you're looking at will she support that vision or if you strip down the fanciness of whether you're in love or whether you think she's hot looking or whether it's young you know i'll never find anybody better etc if you can get rid of all of those emotional sort of moments you look at it and say well is her vision anywhere close Hmm. Does, does she want to be a mother? Does she want to be a supportive wife? Is is this a career woman that's waiting to make triple the money I am and then come back at me and go, what a loser you are. Mm. I'm beating the pants off of you. When are you going to, you know, you need to find those things out. And there's clearly many ways to do it, whether it's look at her parents, Mm. you know, go find the role model she had as a woman, you know, use your own family. If you have them to say, what do you think of my girl? And and then then be honest and say, look, if you sell me out and say she's great, but behind my back, go fuck, what's he doing with her? You know, (laughs) then I'm going to lose. So don't do that to me. So if you can set the honest plate of what other people might be able to say, which is, of course, Jetty, as you know, the the advantage of a men's team, Mm -hmm. we risk the truth to tell a man what no one else will tell him. We risk that friendship to say, dude, you need to know this. This is what people are thinking, but aren't saying. So I think there's, there's a part of it, which is, and there's another great tip that you and I already know, but you know, and it's probably been on your podcast before, but when a man falls in love, it's like being drunk. Sooner or later, he will sober up. Women are perpetually looking for love. They love the story and they live happily ever after. They love the fantasy, the fairy tale. They love to wake up every morning thinking, oh, my king is here and it's all great, et cetera. And men usually to get past and go, okay, got to go to work got to get going. All right. You know, boy, she just wrecked the car. Got to fix it. You know, I'm not blaming women or anything. It's just more of a, a funny story in a sense of that there are responsibilities that fill in the fantasies. They, they, they sort of begin to erase them and it's all about commitments and responsibilities. So clearly the, the comments that a man would have to a junior man is first of all, if you're in love, wait a couple of months, wait a year, whatever it is until you're no longer Now, if you still like her, if you're still in there, if you think this is the one, okay, go ahead and propose to her. But if there's any sense of still you're drinking the alcohol, you're an idiot, okay? You need to to sober up and figure it out. Absolutely, man. Uh, You put it
0: perfectly. And I think that one of the things I know that I, I, the mistake I made in previous relationships, thinking, because pretty much from my first serious relationship when I was in my teens, all the way until I met my wife, Carrie, every single relationship I was in was the one because something fit. And I was looking to fill that void in my life. And so I I imagine that I'm not unique and that there's other men out there who are looking to make a woman fit into what they want versus actually looking at this woman and and accepting her for who she is and then weighing that against their vision. Another thing that comes up is that a lot of men I see don't even know what their vision is for their life. They're looking for the relationship to come first and then figure out what they wanna do with their life. And I've seen that as another path for men who lose satisfaction in their relationship at some point.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, what you said there hit me uh, in a nerve sense of filling the void, I think is what you said, mm-hmm. or, or so what am I missing? And as you and I both know and believe, a man should be self-sufficient. A man should have all of his needs being taken care of as if he's a nomad. If he has such a deficiency that he needs a woman, he becomes dependent on her to answer that need, and he is weak. So the aspect of wanting, of of desiring, of, of saying, you know, this would really help, you know, and edify me, double income, whatever it may be, you could there are plenty of ways to look at what a marriage can do for a man in terms of his status, in terms of his circles, in terms of his employment, his income, having a family, all of those things are great. But there's a clear distinction in the process, which is that if you're needy and you're looking for something to fill a void, whether it's being lonely, so that you haven't discovered what it means to be a solitary figure, just a rock, a man that can answer his needs, whether he's an athlete, whether he's a businessman, whether he's you know, a mentor, all of those different things are roles that he can play, and he doesn't need anything for that he can be self-sustaining because he gets the respect and the love from his community and the admiration from himself by looking in the mirror and say, dude, this is what you've always wanted to do. That kind of guy is solid. When he looks for a woman, he will not be looking something to fill his neediness. Mm-hmm. He will be looking for something that is you know, meant to be that, you know, he now can share his vision and and that's the kind of woman that will look up, this guy's solid, he's going places, I like him, mm. yeah, I'm in. Yeah. There's a distinction there and you kind of brought it up there. Well, good, man. Let's let's pick that one apart because
0: let's just call it what it is. There is an epidemic of validation seeking among masculine culture, among men in the world right now because I see it left and right and I'll be the first one to put myself in the forefront that that's, that's where I came from before I started sitting on a men's team and and still have those voices come up, and so so let's just dissect it a little bit more, so that men can understand if even if they don't know that this is happening for them, that they haven't been that needy guy or seeking validation. Why do we do that? Why do men do that in the first place?
1: Well, first of all, we're human, so you know we're we're very uh, fragile, we're very frail. Uh, I think we have a lot of imperfections that come out, and much of life when you get into the teenage years and and subsequent 20s 30s etc is to pretend to be somebody you're not for fear that you'll be found out to be a fraud so I, I remember my sons used to spend time in front of the mirror and they, they, you know, I could listen to them as they're putting t-shirts on and go, Hey, you know, Johnny, what does this look like? Do I look cool? And, and, and eventually they would like risk say, "Dad, what do you think? And I go, Hey, listen, here's what I think. I think you guys are spending way too much time in front of the mirror, thinking that people care what you look like. <laughs> Everybody else is doing the same thing you're doing. And if you wore the same t-shirt five days in a row, no one would frigging notice because they're worried about what they're wearing. <laughs> and of course, laugh and call me an idiot, etc. But it starts early where there's a certain social structure of, do I fit in? Am I cool? Have I got game? I and you you move along, not so much convinced that you do, convinced that you're better than someone else. So we use other people's standards to measure our own performance. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you make 50 grand a year and you look hot shit in comparison to the guys that are making 20. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of going, oh, it's 50 grand a year. Get me what I need. I need to make more money. You know, so you elevate your own status, your own standards by the filters that you're using, that you're solid on, that you want, maybe role models you got from other people that you respect, etc. But I think the, the you asked a simple question. I've made, I've made a long answer. It's that part of us are we are all weak we're, and we're social creatures. So we are, you know, it's hard to be an island and. know, look at the social medias and everything else like that. It's all about, you know, where do you fit in? Do I fit in? Am I going to be lonely or or do I either suck it up and make friends with people I really don't care about just so I can say I have Uh, friends? Everybody has a little bit of a dragon in the closet and they're always bringing it out and beating it up. So um, yeah, how's that? That's great, man. I think, you know,
0: just to kind of tie that all together, a lot of times we're looking for validation externally because of standards that we haven't created for ourselves. Like you, you actually said it that we're weighing our value in society based on external standards or standards that someone or something has created for us instead of determining those things for ourselves. You know, in our lingo, I would connect that to standards and even terms. You know, the things that make us who we are and defining that for ourselves. And I find that because I was one of those men walking around until I met you when I was twenty-five. I, I didn't even have any sense of defining my values or my terms or who I am apart from who I thought I needed to be for everyone else to
1: like me. And so
0: I think there's a lot of men walking around like that in the world.
1: Oh, absolutely. We run into them all the time. Mm-hmm. And and it's re- what's sad is when you you meet them at my age and the, and later and you watch men that are getting closer to retirement or getting closer to, gosh, now I've made all the money in the world, I've got things, but I don't really know what to do. You know, I, I don't know what's it all about. And And you realize, wow, their vision was to acquire toys. Their vision was to acquire things and they lost the sense of what it meant to be, to give back or to have character or to be a role model or to, you know, you, you pick it. I mean, there's a hundred different things, you know, how you want to go into the sunset, how you want a vacation, how you want to travel, how you want to, you know, be some physical beast at a, a later stage in life when everybody else is hitting the couch. You know, there's so many different menus that you can read from, but as you say, and, and maybe both of us are on the same page. So many people look at everybody else's menu and go, well, what are they having? Mm. What are they eating? What are they doing? And then they measure their performances that way. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty pathetic. When you when you find it and you see it, and all of us have seen it, probably in ourselves, but we're afraid to, to really talk about it, but we've all seen it at someone else. And you go, wow, look at that guy. He didn't know what he's fucking doing. You know? so, totally.
0: totally. Yeah, and in addition to that, I think a lot of men, a lot of people, a lot of men, don't give themselves full permission to decide how they want their life to be. And this also goes into uh, the people who influence us early in life. You know, this is this is a fatherhood episode, right? So this is great. You know, a lot of times we allow our parents to dictate to us what success looks like instead of choosing from their version of success what we like, what works for us, what fits with our vision and our model for our lives, and discarding all the other shit that doesn't fit, right? I mean, that's, that's like a whole nother part of the evolution.
1: True. And in fact, I think uh, there's a slippery slope in there, which part of it I'll carve off and say there's a black or white distinction. And we'll start with that, which is you'll you'll get a lot of men that were, I'm going to call them over-mothered. They were a little bit too feminized in their growing up years. They look for women that are strong to replace the mother figure when they become adults. And they'll always turn to that as if their wife is their mom. Mm. So what do you think? Should I be able to do this? I've got an opportunity at work. What do you think? They bring these decisions home and they're looking for mommy to solve it for them and say it's okay, whatever it may be. The the black or white difference when you cross over to the masculine, to have men in your life to bounce things off is okay because another man who isn't going to sell you out or or lie to you is going to look at you and go, well, have you thought this out? What's in it for you? Why are you doing it? you know, is it going to help you? Uh, To be able to ask the questions so that the man can come to his own decision is good because then he can look at the other man eye to eye and say, hey, thanks, I needed that. Because only a man, only another man can at least walk the walk of a man and be able to say, "Mm, I think you're full of shit or I think you're on the right track. Where When you look and cross that line over to the feminine, to the wife, to the mother figure, you're not going to get the full sense of that she knows exactly what you're going through. She's going to filter it through her feminine, female, mothering eyes. Those are great eyes, but they're not to be counsel to a man. Mm.
0: Agreed, man. Thank you for drawing that distinction. I think also what you said in there about how after having witnessed yourself in the mirror of another man or or received the feedback from another man about what he sees in you and how you're showing up it ultimately comes down to him that man's decision it's like you can take in all that information then decide for himself what is so and you know one of the things i love about men's team and men's circles is you know you, you can always call a man on his bullshit that's the power of the circle that's the power of the community the tribe is to say hey do you really believe yourself over the 10 men who are sitting around you and i know we always talk about that on our own team, about how powerful that is, how a man can be so committed to his story that he will and and not trust the men who love him, who are who are spending time trying to support him in the challenges that he has, that he'll he'll kind of push up and resist against that. So so let's let's use that to kind of shift into your experience because you've had what is it almost two decades of experience on men's teams and men's circles? Twenty years. Jetty,
1: 20 long years. Wow. This is the special anniversary year, huh? (laughs) Well, (laughs) first of all, I consider it an honor. And I hope it's a 30 and I hope it's 40 and however long I'm on the earth. Because being in the company of other men that will support you, but won't sell you out and give you the mirror that we need. And, and you and I believe something, I'm sure it's been on your podcast, but you know, the, the most powerful, second most powerful force in the universe is a man's ability to believe his own bullshit. So to have someone else in your corner that is going to turn to you and go, hey, <laughs> this is me you're talking to, idiot. This isn't the rest of the world. I'm telling you, you're being a bonehead and this is a stupid move. Now, those are rare men to have in your camp. And those are the ones you hold on to for a lifetime. hmm Brilliant, man. So that that's a great distinction. And so thanks for the hey, it's been 20 years, but I hope it's I'm only halfway there. Yeah. Well, and, and that's awesome. man. I, I, would you say
0: that in 20 years you've seen just about everything?
1: You know, I, I like to say yes. But just when I say that some men seem like uh, ours, for example, something will happen and, and we all bust up and go, I never saw that coming. You know, so <laughs> The idiocy of men is absolutely one of the funniest and most predictable things, even in its unpredictability of what they're going to do. But you know that men are retarded. <laughs> we, we do it for all the wrong reasons and the logic is all twisted and the, and the humor in it is pretty hilarious because, you know, you're watching a guy that's driving over the cliff in a wrecked car and... He thought he was in a Cadillac going down the highway, and you know, it's
0: like, wow! <laughs> I know, man. I know it's it definitely is it's it definitely has its entertainment value at sometimes too. And uh, I know because I've been I've been a victim of many of those fiery wrecks <laughs> on my men's team. <laughs> and so, uh, what would you say um, in those twenty years? What are some of the most common things that come up that other men who haven't sat on a men's team or have the privilege of being supported in this way by men that they would they would never
1: know about themselves or they would never see. That they would miss? Hmm. I think there's one that I've noticed. And this goes back to that part where I think I mentioned that, you know, we're all human. There's a human tendency. So it's not just masculine. So this is the domain across. So it's the human dimension to be comfortable. The human dimension takes on different forms in the masculine and the feminine. Women like to be comfortable with riches with wealth with things that make them feel good with things that make them you know pretty with things that make them not stressed and things like that men's comfort is a lot more about sort of middle of the road stuff you know i don't feel like running this morning i'm going to sit and watch tv you know i'm all oh, the packers are on i got to watch the pack you know we make excuses to be comfortable in a way that makes us here's the word average mm. One of the speeches I do in front of the Boy Scout parents, et cetera, is never tell a young man when he's doing something that you think isn't quite good enough. Never tell him, all right, that's good enough. You kill your kid. You you turn him into something that is destined for mediocrity. Hmm. Instead, have him strip the pack three different times till he gets it right. Tear down the tent 14 different times till he gets it right. The point is, is that if you can't demand excellence out of the boy, he will seek mediocrity because you showed him that the bar was, well, that's good enough. So there's a tendency in men, even without that counsel or with strong fathering, etc., we will gravitate towards the middle. I think that stems back from that other earlier, you know, part of our conversation, teenagers looking around going, Am I okay? Do I look okay? Is my zipper up? You know we're we're doing those sorts of things constantly because we don't want to be singled out, made fun of, mocked. Right. So there's a part of of men that seek comfort. And it's depressing because, you know, if you're around the men that are on the other side of it, which are seeking excellence, they are pushing the envelope always. And it's attractive. It's sort of all you need is one person on a team to lead, by example, with, you know, a tremendous amount of goal setting and he's pushing for the moon. It'll pull everybody else that way versus the other way where somebody says ah, it's good enough. Everybody else go, well, if it's good enough for Jenny, it's good enough for me. You know, he's a pretty good guy. You know, he's not exactly trying to hit the moon. He's he's doing okay hitting singles. And so there's an there's an infectious side of it both ways. Mm. And the one thing that I have seen over a lifetime of of men and teams is without the the alpha men that are leading, without the adoption of these strict standards within your life, you will find ones that don't have much sharp edges we'll find the soft couch because it feels good. Mm. And that reminds me of
0: a quote that I think I first heard from you is that every organization ultimately reflects its leadership. Correct. So if we think of yourself as the leader in your family or the leader in your community, the leader in your group of friends or whatever it might be, if if you are the one that people are looking to to steer the ship or at least to be out in front, and you're not pushing and driving, then there's no way anybody else is going to step out in front unless they have that similar alpha Let's do this
1: mentality and spirit. Right. And even then, they you hope that they would have had some sort of counsel along the way of uh, a moral compass because, you know, there's not a lot of difference between the, you know, art criminal and the, you know, the guy that's leading some honorable organization. They both may be alpha men. They both know leadership, but one's leadership has to do with, you know, lining his own pocket versus the other, which is benefiting a community. So, there's a distinction in there that I think sometimes we forget just because he's an alpha male, just because he's a good leader. Well, where's his compass Mm -hmm. for the sake of what is he leading? And that's an important part, which again, goes back to the original place where we started, which was being a father of being able to give a sense of honor. And on my own page, my father was a military man. He was a Navy pilot. He was a, a Korean war veteran. The guy basically was bulletproof when it came to doing right from wrong. He's a religious man. And he knew where that line was. And I'm telling you, as his oldest son, I bucked up against it. I tried to cut corners and you know shave things, et after any chance I could until I realized somewhere along the line, you know, my dad was right. There's no honor in cutting corners. Nobody respects you. Nobody says, oh, way to go, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You made more money than everybody else, but you cheated. Mm -hmm. They they don't care, right? There's a certain sense of other men look at you and go, wow, that guy did it right. He worked hard. And and that's one of the things that I know you and I talk about with, with the physicality that we share, the love of it. Nothing I've ever done that was easy do I care to talk about. It's the pinnacles that I've climbed in the snow in the winter. It's the, you know, 120-mile bike rides. It's all the different things that were difficult, kayaking across the islands. Those were hard, and I love telling those stories. <laughs> so do all men. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we toot our horn for the things that we did that took effort, that took commitment, that took some sense of, all right, I know this isn't the smartest thing in the world, but I'm going to do this. <laughs> and when you're done, you deserve the glory and the respect of, you know, accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. Right on man. I,
0: I, I love that you kind of brought it all the way back around to fatherhood because that's really what we're here to To talk about in, in the in the midst of all this and so you, you mentioned something just before about the rebellious nature of the son mm-hmm. you know, Like pushing up against the father's values at a certain age. Sometimes it happens in the teens. Sometimes adolescence It seems like these days it's more like in the 20s. So first question is what is that about? Why is that dynamic occur where the the son rebels against the values of the father?
1: Well, I I think I would be uh, taking all of the knowledge of what many psychologists and great authors have already written millions of pages on, which takes, first of all, the tone of just biology. You have testosterone that's kicking into a teenager. And as a father who went through that, now my sons are 23 and 24 years old. They've gone past it. You wake up one day and you're looking at a boy who thinks he can kick your ass. And, and all of a sudden his attitude looks like he wants to, and he starts pushing. And no matter how much I think I'm prepared for it, because I was that kind of son to my own father, I'm sitting there going, what the hell happened to this kid? You know, what, What did he drink something last night uh, as he has he joined some secret society where he thinks he can talk back to me like that mm-hmm. and begin to forget its rites of passage. It's, you know, a testosterone laden teenager that's looking at, you know, you going, you know, if you just move out, I could take over this house and everything would be a whole lot better. <laughs> and of course, you're trying to them the less of that's fine, but you better earn the right to pay the mortgage, young man. So, you know, there, there are certain parts of the, the fight that is honorable and and a father must never give in. A mother a father must say, you know what, the door is over there. And, and I, you know, shoot with my sons. The police came a couple of times and mm-hmm. They usually sided with me. They saw the scout things on the walls and they go, OK, if we had to choose which one's right, I think we're going to side with the dad. <laughs> so, you know, I can't tell you all the reasons why, but both my sons had their dander up a little bit. And, you know, I think the the man that we've done some work with, Sterling, says it's like two bulls in a ring. Well, they don't last too long without locking horns, you know, no matter how big that pen is. They're eventually going to find each other and go, hey, I'm king. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Get ready. We're going to go for a fight. So I think it's natural rather than for us to ask, why does it happen? It's probably more to prepare young men that are going to be fathers. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. and relish it because it's a wonderful place for you to exert your fathering and your sense of honor and duty and commitment. I love that. I love how you spin the context on that.
0: And as you said that, the, the example of the bulls, it reminded me that every other animal in the world has every other dynamic in the world would have the, the alpha male being challenged by the younger up and coming male at some point. It's like, just watch National Geographic. That's, that's how yeah. the world works. <laughs> and somehow we've made it like we've spun it where it's like this bad thing you know, where we can't get along. And it's like, no, it's just, this is this is one man's territory. And if, there, if it comes to a point where the son is feeling ready to challenge his father, it's like, great, you're ready to move on, my son. It's like, it's a good thing, is what I'm getting from it.
1: Right, well, and in fact, Jetty, you just reminded me that there's also the part of it which is the female role of the mother. Let's say she's in there, we've got an intact family, et cetera. When that mother throws herself in front of the father, in between the father and the son, She may think she's doing a great job as a mother, but she is hurting the process Mm -hmm. because that steel sharpens steel is a moment that a boy must realize I'm going to have to take the king and he has to leave and he has to go find his own kingdom and he has to come back and prove himself. And that, you know, because those are great moments. If the woman does an effective enough job by either belittling the father or protecting the son, she can overmother at that particular point. And all of a sudden, kicking a son out, which is one of the greatest things you can do to your son, because, you know, with the old quote, necessity is the mother of all invention. So if a son is out because you kicked him out, you locked the door and you said, you come by again, the police are coming, he's gotta figure out a way to provide. He's gotta go out and find his roommate's couch, he's gotta find a job, he's gotta work with the boss he's already got, to say, do you mind if I sleep in the office, I just got kicked out of my house. Those are the greatest lessons and stories he will be able to tell his dad, his children, his son. He lives the, you know, Cain versus uh, Cain and Abel story sense. That's, you know, I know brothers, but there's a there's a great book called um, I think it's Surviving Cain. And it's just all of these particular stories of men who physically had to be you know, challenged by their sons. And it, the reason the book was written was to let everybody know, hey, this happened. This is natural. <laughs> right. You know, your kid's not an asshole and you're not being a dick for kicking them out. This stuff
0: happens. Right, and, and I know that that's edgy for a lot of parents out there, is kicking their son out, or, or even being at odds with their children. I think there's a, a, a theme in our society, at least in modern culture, that we're supposed to be friends with our kids. You know, and, and it's a, I think, I think it comes from infuse wanting to infuse more love in the family dynamic. And because people interpret, well, if I'm buddies with my son, then that's what love looks like. So I, I know that there's this stream coming through and I know that you have some thoughts on that topic. So what's, uh, what comes up for you around that?
1: It's, it's one of those where you know when you see it, I begin to get edgy around the man because I know he's killing his son. Because what you're doing is you're teaching that boy. That there are no boundaries between the father and the son. And there, will, there should always be a boundary. You're not his buddy. You're the guy that's going to set the standards and the edginess of, of where the bar is. And you're going to raise the bar always. And if he's a guy that you've been buddies with ever since, uh, there's no respect there. And, and by being buddies, that means you're crossing lines in terms of social structure when they're teenagers and maybe you're allowing his buddies to come over and have beers when they're underage. And however it looks, there's a million of these little pitfalls and everybody's going to have their own way of looking at it. But when somebody looks across from you and you're sitting on the couch watching the ball game, and everybody under 18 is having a beer, none of the kids in the room respect either. Mm-hmm. They don't look at you as a father figure. And so when the next time you're out in your yard, go, Hey guys, you know, you're loud. It's two in the morning. One of us go, Hey, Mr. So relax, dude, come on, watch, come on out here and have a beer with us. And they've crossed the line then because you allowed it. So it's a short term fix for thinking in one sense, I must be a good dad. My son likes me to the long-term consequence that you're going to have a boy that won't respect you. And you look If you weigh those trade-offs that way, every man would say, well, you know, clearly I wouldn't do that. Well, it starts early <laughs> and it starts by always being the standard bearer and the unpopular guy. In my generation, one of the most favorite things that mothers did, my mom did it a lot, was when I got in trouble at school, when I got in trouble at home, that was OK. It was this line. Wait till your dad gets home. (laughs) Feared everything. It was like, how do I, how do I pack my bags and I'm only seven, you know, and just so that my dad won't come home and find out what I've done. So there's a part where fathers were always unpopular because they were the disciplinarians. Mm -hmm. Now men are afraid to be. It's like, that's your role. It's one of the greatest things in the world, you know, to monkey with a kid and say, oh, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me. You know, and all of the ways that you can hold consequences to teach your son that, well, let's be honest, this is a consequence for your behavior. Mm. This isn't, I'm not doing something I enjoy doing, punishing you, but the world will punish a boy when a father doesn't. Mm. And when the world punishes a boy, it brings into things called jail and judges and attorneys. And those never end up very well for the young men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The,
0: the world is not as forgiving, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of the metaphor of the safest place in the world is on your, is on your men's team, right? It's like be, being in the company of people who will not judge you, who will love you and who want to see you win. And same thing with a father and a son. It's right. like that it's not to me, it's no different. You know, we even talk about fathering the men on our team and taking turns fathering each other because that's such a beautiful dynamic to have when it, when it's really dialed in. Because when you get out into the world, the world plays by different rules, you know, and, and there there is, it, it, it doesn't forgive stuff the same way that, so I guess the, the message is like teaching those lessons and instilling those lessons in your in your son is really a very beautiful opportunity for the father, and not something to be shied away from just because it's gonna
1: make you unpopular at times. Yeah, I think there's also, there's an added benefit as a man, and I, and I share this with you as a, a young father. That the more you play the role, the more you really play the real role of what a father is. The more you embrace it, and the more you actually raise your own expectations for what a father should look like. So it begins to be less of a role, knowing that I know I'm supposed to do this, and you begin to it. You embody it a little bit more, and you look for it. You look. For those opportunities to be a father, to be honorable, to be the guy that's setting the, you know, to enroll your son in something that's going to take a little extra work, that's going to be harder and sharing context. Well, we're outside here. We got a lot of work to do before we go to your ball game. Let's get this stuff. You know, whatever it is, you begin to now not sell out, but you begin to push and pull that bar higher and higher and higher. And your son watches that expectation level and you you see the benefit. Mm-hmm. You, you actually get to watch it in front of you. And what a great gift and a, a reward for doing the hard work.
0: Yeah. And I'll be honest, man, I don't know if you'll agree, but it takes a lot of energy and effort to be that type of father. To be that type of father to a son, to 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 constantly be looking for ways to enroll him and bring context into uh, the lessons that you're instilling in your child. Uh, you know, because the shortcut, the alternative, would be just letting them get away with everything, or 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 being a very strict, you know, disciplinarian, like the lines drawn here, saying no to everything, instead of actually taking the time to to teach and to to be with your child. And so I think that you know without going on a whole nother tangent, there's a lot of parents out there, a lot of fathers out there who are just so energetically taxed that they give up on being a father to their kid for the sake of other things. And obviously that's my own assessment, but do you see some of that happening or is there anything that comes up when I say that?
1: Oh, well, I guess it was two things. The one being that your last part about you see dads like that and it's sad because, you know, the, the social media aspects of all these things that, you know, thank God most of my life I've missed it, so I don't care to be in them. You see the self-absorption that it creates. And I I somehow am able to look at it and tolerate it on a female basis, you know, where it's teenage girls and they're, you know, posting their pictures and they're watching themselves, you know, with their, you know, fish lips and puckering and just a thousand selfies just to get the right one. And you kind of look at it, you go, okay, (laughs) And when you see it on a boy, you, you, you kind of want, I want to go find the dad. I want to go, hey, what are you doing? How's this? What are you raising here? What is going to be the end game to this? And what I find when I do that, if I've ever confronted it in a probably less than hostile way that I just said it, you find a man who's usually pretty self absorbed also mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily see the value of the hard work of what a good father can be to carrying on his legacy, that they haven't connected the dots, that hard work from a father means a son that will appreciate hard work. Hard work as a parent means a son that will be able to pass that along to his generation. Uh, so that it won't be in e- a worsening of the standards and a, a complete breakdown of, of what the man was supposed to be. He becomes a buddy and irresponsible and won't provide and won't do anything. And when the kid wants to watch a TV show, the, the father's only response is, dude, go get your own TV. I'm watching right now. And so, you know, th- those are the degradation moments. Maybe that sounded dramatic because I have to sum it up very quickly. But when I see it, it crushes the spirit of that men are missing what a golden opportunity is to pass on such a, a gift of masculine behavior, of masculine standards, of, of fathering, of, you know, because it's been around a lot longer than you and I. Sure. And and society tends to the mores and, you know, zeitgeist can can move and, and shift, etc. But it only takes one man to say, Well, I'm not buying that. I'm not in. I'm taking my phones away. I'm not gonna let my kid watch that. I'm not gonna, he's gonna earn that. It only takes one guy to stand up and create the standards that are strict and that are fair and teaches his son about being a man that next thing you know, you've got a community that benefits. You have a young man that will be a leader someday. Mm. Somebody that will not only be a leader, but that the people will actually respect. And that's a rare gift. Mm.
0: Absolutely, man. And also that, you know, fathering a son is is a long term investment. (laughs) I think that it's something that you you start investing in from the moment that that child is born, really. And then you may not see I mean, your sons are in their early to mid 20s now. And I know just from knowing you personally, that's that's been a journey and Mm -hmm. you keep investing and you stay committed to raising those boys with solid values so that they can become the men that you hope they will be. And even then, it's not in your control. No. It's like at some point you you let it go because despite your best efforts they still might turn out to be <laughs> serial killers or something you know or or do something right. and and so uh, so yeah man it's I I think it's really valuable everything that you shared about um, just fatherhood in general and, and being a parent but also specifically around raising sons is there anything that we missed specifically about raising sons that you think is important to mention
1: before we wrap up I, I think that that your last comment. That about my boys that they could turn into serial killers or whatever. I think there is one point that is worth mentioning on your your cast here, which is you are only in charge of the process. That is all of us, the, the men that you have listening that will tune into this. Remember that. We are never in charge of the results, but you are in charge of giving your best. The scout oath always begins, I'm honor, I will do my best. It does not say you will be perfect. It does not say you will be honorable. It does not say anything. You're simply going to give your best. If you give your best as a father, you can go to sleep at night and you can die a contented man, knowing that you did everything you could. What the boy learns, what he picks and chooses from your lessons, what he takes from you is going to be shaped with all the other mentors and experiences in his life. That's life. That's great. But if you Die on your deathbed, or you sit there and you realize you didn't give your best, and you're not happy with your son. Or even if you are, if you are, it's almost worse because you know you can't take credit for it. <laughs> you know you didn't give your best. He found some other, you know, mentor that was better or tougher or meaner or more strict or, or had a decent, better sense of honor than you did, and that would crush. That should crush a man who had the opportunity to teach his son the best and. I think that's where there's a great point to remember is that we're not in charge of those results. What they're going to become is what they're going to become. But you damn well sure you're in charge of what you do, what your process is, where your bar is, where your standards are of when you say, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to do it again. I think that is the gift of being a man. Mm. Beautiful,
0: man. Uh, I say this from time to time where when someone really drops some hot wisdom that, you know, anybody listening right now, just go back about 90 seconds and just listen to that at least five times over again, because that <laughs> what a great summary of everything we talked about today, man. Uh, that was awesome. Let's let's do this. I like to do a lightning round at the end. You know, like, you know, I, I don't even know where it came from the lightning round. I think it's Jeopardy. Did they do lightning round in Jeopardy or something like that.
1: Uh, they could but uh, who cares I don't know. One of those games. all
0: right yeah. so this is our version of the lightning round i'm going to ask you some lightning questions about fatherhood you just give me your quickest simplest answer you can uh what was what was one thing you were not prepared for when you became a father
1: i was not prepared for the fact that it takes them a while to grow into like humans to where then i began to like being a father <laughs> I think my my first son was at least you know like six months old, and he started to crawl like an army man. You know, it's like he would drag his elbow, and and I go and I I put stuff in front of him so he would crawl for it. And, and people that would come over go, "What are you doing?" I go, "Watch this, watch him crawl, look at him go, look at him." It became, <laughs> finally he, he could do something, so that I was like, "This is cool, watch me show my son, you know, do like an army man crawl." <laughs> so I wasn't prepared for the delayed. You know, God, forever, it's diapers and throw up and pissing everywhere and baths and changes. You know, that, that's the stuff that you go, oh, well. <laughs> they, don't, they don't put that on the brochure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he can't throw a football in his first year. God darn it, what's going on with this <laughs> What's wrong with him? Is he take him to the doctor or something? <laughs> All right, great answer, man. Um, what's
1: the greatest lesson that you've learned in fatherhood? I guess my greatest lesson has, has been to never quit. Be humble enough to know that the lessons that you think they should be learning are not to be done on your timeline. Give them the patience to learn those lessons on theirs. Beautiful, man.
0: And this may cover that as well, but what is one piece of advice you'd give to all fathers out there who are
1: listening? Teach your kid to change his own oil, to change his own brakes, to mow the lawn, to do everything physical, to make him look at you and go, oh crap, another chore out of dad. <laughs> one day he will be somebody that knows how to do something other than text his 14 different girlfriends. <laughs> nice one, man, I like that. Um, and lastly, what
0: is one thing you learned in your life up to now that you wish you knew when you were 18?
1: Well, I think I wish I had had a, a little bit better understanding of this fascinating difference between men and women. The masculine and the feminine are are as far away as the north and the south rims of the Grand Canyon. And uh, uh, my father did not have a father. Mm-hmm. He was raised by the military. He was raised by the church. He was raised by his mom and his older sister. And it, and it had a confluence of all kinds of things. He was the great Santini with a heart. Mm-hmm. And I think he was so, he probably was embarrassed because he didn't have a lot of experience with women that he was going to sit down and talk to me all about it. And I had to learn that later. And when you find it, it's like, wow, I wish I'd known that when I was younger. So <laughs> that's how I answered that one, Jenny.
0: That's good, man. I love that one. I wish I knew that too. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> well, you're a lot younger, buddy. So you're, what, you're way more advanced than I ever was. You're doing
0: fine. Oh, man, John, listen, it's been such a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, you know, I, I didn't mention it at the top of the episode. I meant to, but um, for all you guys who are listening John has been one of the greatest influences in my life as a man, and I've learned so much from him. I'm I'm honored to have known you and to be able to spend time with you, learning from you. And I know that you're such a humble man that you'll probably just turn it back on me, but I want everybody out there to know how, how honorable of a man you really are and that uh, I really appreciate you being on here and supporting what I'm
1: doing. Well, listen, I, I know I, I don't get the last word, but I do get at least say there are many great teachers, but... You cannot teach if you do not have good students. And you, sir, are one of the most um, open-minded to absorb and enthusiastic and eager to learn of all of the young men that I've ever had on team. So what you're doing here is an example of that. And uh, so back at you, (laughs) Jen. Right
0: on, man. Well, uh, here's to many more. We'll have to have you on for, for another session because we could. I know we could rattle off for hours here, just you and I, so <laughs> we'll, we'll bring you back in the future, man, all right? All right, my brother. Excellent, man. You take care. Thanks, Jetty. See you later. You guys heard me mention it at the top of this interview and at the end of this interview. John is someone I consider to be a mentor. You know, we happen to sit on the same men's team. We hold each other accountable, but I've learned a lot about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband by spending some time in this in this man's presence. He really is a wealth of wisdom and information. And in comparison to some of the other guests we've had on this show, I feel John brings a very unique Edge and flair to the conversation of masculinity, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a father, a husband, etc. So I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I do. Every time I get an opportunity to talk to John, it's just, it's a great conversation. So uh, I look forward to having him back on the show to dive deeper into some other topics. So uh, as I mentioned in the top of the show, you guys, if you have been listening to these podcasts, or maybe this is the first one that you heard, and the information, the dialogue is awakening something in you. You start to get that sense that, wow, I've been missing something or the way I'm living my life is not the way I want to be. It's not fulfilling. I'm not on my purpose. I'm not on my path. If you're feeling any of those things and you don't know what to do next, stop what you're doing. Send me a message on Facebook Messenger or hit me up with an email, jettyazuma at gmail.com. I wanna get on a conversation with you right away, help you figure out what that next step is. Figure out, not the whole solution to the problem, just the very next step. A lot of times, one of the things I tell guys that I work with, that I coach, is a lot of times when you feel completely lost, you're just a couple of millimeters away from the bullseye. You just have to figure out what that next adjustment is. So. Reach out, you guys. I don't want anybody having to hide out in the darkness, do it all by themselves anymore. This is, we've gone too long doing it that way. It's time to make a change. All right. So reach out, do it for yourself, do it for everybody else in your life, too, who depends on you being the best man you can be. All right. As always, you can check out the show notes for links and resources at the Rising Man Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already on the podcast app of your choice, please do. And also while you're at it, leave a review, snap a screenshot, tag me, send it to the rising man podcast at gmail.com. I'm putting together that list. I told you guys I've been mentioning on the past few episodes, I'm starting to get a bigger and bigger list. And the vision that I have for how to bring it all together is growing. So by the end of June, you will be getting a special invitation from me based on your level of interaction. If you've been interacting, if you've been commenting, subscribing, supporting this podcast, beyond just listening to it yourself, there's gonna be a special gift coming your way. So hang tight, keep spreading the love. Help us reach other men by leaving that review because that's the way other men who know nothing about me, who know nothing about the podcast, they're gonna search for it and find it and say, oh, let me see some reviews. What do other guys think? What are they getting from listening to this? Your words can lead a man to his next breakthrough and it only takes a couple of minutes. So please do that, please leave that review, subscribe today. If you're not already a part of the Facebook community, facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man. We're just about 600 strong. In fact, we're probably over 600 by the time you guys hear this. And this is really where all of the juice happens. I like to think of the episodes as the ignition and the Facebook group is where we keep all the gasoline. (laughs) So this is where we're really turning it up getting into some of these deeper conversations for men who are having epiphanies, breakthroughs, insights from the episodes, and other things that are going on in their lives. So this is where you can come to get support. It's for men only, no ladies sneaking in there, sorry ladies, but this is for men only, and this is where we really get to do the work together. All right, facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man. Hit us up on Instagram at the rising man pod, or my personal instagram at jetty azuma as i always like to do at the end of the show i want to give a big 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 shout out to my man sean offenbach over at infinite melodics that's at infinite melodics sean has been really pumping out i've had him working double time in the month of june so we can get out double episodes each week sean i really appreciate you bro everything you do man you're such a pro you're so honest you're so integral i can always count on you man thank you for doing the work that you do And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) mostly gentlemen, but for the ladies out there too, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.